Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Cuts of Vine for January 31st, 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, great show tonight. In about 20 minutes, we're going to have Lowell Feld of Blue Virginia Join us. Lowell's been on many times before. Anytime anything's going on in Virginia, we can always call on Lowell. And 2021 is a, a state elections year for Virginia and New Jersey. So um, while there'll be in Alina special elections here, some mayoral elections, uh, as far as you know, top to bottom in a state, New Jersey and Virginia are going to be where a lot of the action is. So we're going to get with Lowell to get an early preview on that. But until then, um, Tim, uh, it appears we live in the center of the political universe in the past week. Um, we knew in Georgia we did, but it, it, topics have changed. You know, Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, they won. That race is over. Um, but in the northwest corner, um, one congresswoman's getting a ton of attention. She ended Bill Maher last week. She opened it this week. She was um, portrayed on the cold open of SNL by Cecily Strong. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is uh, making lots and lots of news and not for a lot of good reasons. Um, Give us your view. Well, I mean, you know, we got to seriously face the fact that we've got a full-blown conspiracy theorist, and I'm just being very charitable here in our midst, and we must also face the fact that she's going to be exactly what we have seen so far going forward. Um, Some of of these things that have come out about her, especially in the last week, if reporters have really started digging, have just been uh, beyond off the flatter society page. Uh, I mean, when we're talking about secret space rays hitting California and Jews are responsible for it and they're doing it to uh, clear-cut land for high-speed rail. And um, I mean, that that's just the kind of stuff that... that it's just in the fantasy world, and that's that's where Marjorie Taylor Greene is right now. And uh, she uh, she does though have significant support here in the 14th district, and she is really really latching herself on to Trump. So uh, there we are. We we we're the laughing stock of the country, guys. Yes, um, we could, you know, try to delve into where in the world she got Jewish space lasers from, but it's so incomprehensible, it it defies logic, so I don't even know what we'd gain by going down that. But, um, you know, Catherine, Tim alluded to, you know, flat earthers and all, and we know people, you know, all the moon landing was fake, and they they believe in these conspiracy theories. She pretty much is, uh, you know, disregarded parts of the 9/11 tragedy, the Las Vegas tragedy, Sandy Hook, Parkland. She's called for beheadings of government officials, including the current Speaker of the House, that she's up there to try to pass legislation with. It's a coworker now. Um, among these conspiracy th- conspiracy theories, including Jewish space lasers. Uh, what's your thoughts on all the information that's come out on her this week? You know, it's just uh, mind-boggling that um, someone with these ideas 
can get elected um, and be given any kind of uh, platform to talk about it. Uh, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to even discuss it, but we have to discuss it because it's uh, it's really scary, really, honestly, to think that um, that she's there and she has any kind of influence. I think it's minimal because she is uh, so, you know, off off the mainstream. But, I mean, she was elected and she does have a vote in certain, you know, she does, she does get to vote. So I, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's embarrassing uh, to be from the state that she was, that she represents. And it's embarrassing for our country to have someone like that, you know, getting all this attention. And I mean, some of these ideas she has are just really out there. Um, but I guess it, it speaks to a larger problem of, you know, what, what, is the why did people vote for her? I mean, well, the people voted for her because there was nobody else running. But, but why did she get why did she get past the primary? You know what? How can we uh, avoid people like this getting elected in the future? Um, it's it's uh, it's a problem. Well, I mean, and you say no one's running against her, and obviously, you know, Kevin Van Odsel we had on the show, uh, he did not finish the race, um, and so therefore he didn't run against her. But in the primary, there was a lot of opposition. I mean, the former yeah. state school superintendent of the state, John Barge, was on the ballot. I mean, you know, we may not agree with everything John Barge believes in, but he would have been – Light years better than her. Um, you know, she ran a she won a runoff against John Cowan, and while John Cowan is to the right of us, he would not have been a publicity seeking embarrassment. Um, you know, his voting record at times would have been like really, but it, it wouldn't have been uh, just a um, entertainment seeking, you know, mm-hmm. attention, um, uh, you know. Parade, if you will, and so that that becomes the question: When the Republicans in this district had all of these choices, and there was what about ten, twelve people on that ballot, and there was others. Bill Hembry, I've been eight. Bill Hembry had been in the state legislature. There were far better choices than her, and she was the one they wanted. That's what they wanted. Why is that what they uh, wanted? Well. You know, um, I, I was born and raised in this district, and in 1974, a fellow by the name of Larry McDonald defeated a six-term congressman who happened to be Wendy Davis's uncle, as a matter of fact. And Larry McDonald was the national president of the John Burt Society, who believed, among other things, that General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, was an agent. Uh, of the quote communist conspiracy they they accused our victorious commander in World War II head of NATO and a two-term president of being uh, a communist and, and and people knew that here and voted for him and gleefully voted for him and loved him and McDonald did the same kind of stuff only not as brazenly as she is doing it. He didn't have social media, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, there would quite often be votes in the House in those days, something to one, and he'd be the one. He'd vote against the whole appropriations bill, and and, and he was just a, a constant source of embarrassment. And so this district has always had a history of this stuff, and not not to this level, but with Donald Trump in the scene, on the scene, we've come to that level, guys. We have. 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, they're saying that she may have done some recognizance tours. She has, um, you know, like I said, called in the past for beheading of um, her coworkers, you know, government leaders, including Nancy Pelosi. And so people are saying, you know, turn her out. And, you know, the justification's there if you want to do that. Um, I, I do think then you open up a bar of what's the level in which you do that. But here comes the bigger question. Let's just say she got turned out, and they had to have a new election. Catherine, would we just get another Marjorie Green Taylor next? Taylor Green? Uh, probably someone in that ilk, maybe not quite as extreme, but uh, – but yeah, I, I would I would imagine so. Yeah, and so Tim, the next question I think Catherine is very likely right. We get another one. Um, I'll let you answer that same question, but I want you to expound on it. How do we get to the point where we don't get a carbon copy of her? We get someone more like Tom Graves, and who would have thought two years ago we'd be pining to get Tom Graves back? Well, you know, um, as far as answering the first question you ask, I I don't. You know, it's it's totally hypothetical because I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't believe we'd get somebody exactly like her, but they they would be very 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 conservative and probably a Trump supporter too. But the reason I'm saying it's not going to happen, like the. What are the Republicans doing about her? Kevin McCarthy canceled the House GOP leadership meeting this week, and they said one of the reasons he did it was he didn't want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. At least 50 House Democrats have signed on uh, as wanting her removed publicly, not one Republican. Um, matter of fact, Nakima Williams is a co-sponsor of a bill to censor her. I don't even know if that's gotten any Republican support or not. Uh, so I, I just don't know. I, th- I think the main thing that I'm looking forward to is to see what happens with redistricting. I, 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 you know, it sounds awful to say that, but uh, it, it would take uh, – you know, we're not going to sit still. We're we're gonna we're gonna start going after her. We're gonna start organizing and already have rid of her to beat her at the polls if we can't do nothing. So it's gonna be a, a tall order in this district the way it's laid out right now. It is, and here's the trick. She's from Alpharetta. Her her well, and actually maybe more coming. The 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 business. That her father founded, that her husband and her run, Taylor Construction, is based in Alpharetta. She graduated from high school in Cumming. Um, she was originally going to run in Georgia's 6th District. Um, I guess when Karen Handel, uh, they wanted to clear the race, she decided to you know, run in Georgia 14 when Tom Graves decided to get out. That open seat attracted her. She originally said, well, I'm going to buy a house in Paulding County. Then she said, well, I'm going to live in Rome. I don't know that there's any indication that she has ever bought or ever, you know, stayed more more than a motel room in Georgia's 14th District. I don't think she resides in Georgia's 14th District. If somebody knows more than I do, please let me know. But I don't think she lives here. I, I bet she lives in D.C. When she comes home, she comes home to the coming Alpharetta area. And Georgia's 6th District. So what I'm saying by this is however you want to cut it, you're going to have enough of the voters out of Whitfield, Walker, Chattooga, Floyd, Bartow, uh, Dade, Catoosa, Murray, you know, Gordon. There's going to be enough voters up there, and she's going to go run in whatever district she thinks she can have the best shot at winning that Republican primary because I don't think you can cut out a district that's ready for a Democrat. Tim, you said but. What do you think? Well, I'm thinking they might cleverly draw the districts to where just about anywhere she turns, she's going. She might be running against an incumbent. Now, it's not impossible that that could happen. Uh, they could extend this district all the way across the northern tier of the state, join it up with the ninth. 
she ain't going to win that district. They've got a Congress critter. Uh, they could throw her the southern end of this district, a lot of it, into the 6th, the 7th, over in uh, Barry Loudermilk's district. She certainly couldn't take him on. Um, they they could do some things. Well, the question is, will they? You know, she will be a vote with the Republicans on everything up there. She will. If they can put up with her mouth enough, she will be. Not to mention, she's really on good terms with Trump. She even talked to him on the phone the other day. A lot of them may be afraid to make a move on her, and they might just decide to sacrifice this district and leave her in it and leave her alone to do and say whatever, which could be an awful lot, by the way. So... um, I, I don't know, guys. I mean, you, we got a congresswoman that called Obama a secret Muslim and that the Kenton, Clintons killed JFK Jr. and the Pentagon attacks on 9-11. That was questionable. And, uh, you, you know, that's, that's, that's just where we sit right now. But, there, you know, there are some people making rumblings that they're going to run against her, one by the name of Brittany uh, Trombauer, has already, you know, announced that she's going to run against her. Um, now, we'll just see. Catherine, do you believe that Barry Loudermilk or Drew Ferguson or the congressman that I can't name, and I'm not sure Tim can name from that replaced Doug Collins, he has the machine gun on his sign, um, Matt maybe, I think his first name, do you think they could beat her in a primary? Because I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure either. Uh, I mean, it is two years away, so or a year and a half away. So, um, you know, a lot of things can change. A lot of things can happen. But if, uh, you know, and this is a big if, if Trump remains, uh, you know, popular with uh with a segment of the of the Republican voters, then her close relationship with him, if she can maintain it, uh, really does uh, help her. And I, I, I'm not, I'm just not sure. I don't. I, I, I'm uh, you know I've I've watched a lot of you know pundits talking about it, and I've thought about it a lot. I really don't know what the Republicans' game plan is. I don't know how they're gonna. I don't know how they're going to either deal with, you know, accept that Trump is going to control things or get rid of him or, you know, I don't just don't know how they're going to manage this. I think it's, uh, I think we have uh, uh, probably the next six months will tell, I think. Well, and the Georgia Republicans have a whole nother um, calculus to go into. Now, Tim, let's say that they do, you know, they move the district out where it's just not friendly for her anymore, or she just decides it's time for new ambition. She could primary Brian Kemp for the governorship. She could decide to run for the U.S. Senate um, and, and try to face Raphael Warnock. Now, that becomes a whole nother dynamic in the general there because she'd be running statewide. But in a primary, could anybody beat her uh, for that U.S. Senate nomination? And then could she beat uh, um, Brian Kemp um, for the governor's gubernatorial nomination? Well, I'm I'm not going to say she couldn't, uh, but um, it, it, I, I think the governor might face several opponents. So. Um, the opposition wouldn't be coalesced to get him, and she might just barely miss a runoff or something like that. By the way, over in the ninth district, isn't that congressman's name Clyde? Don't that sound right? I, I could look up Palm Politics 1 and I, find I, out. I, I, I'm um, not looking it up, but I believe his yeah. name is Clyde. The guy but that I'll tell you this. Colin. Okay, he, he ran as, as a new congressman in an open seat just like she did. We don't. We can't right. think of his name. We know her name. Yeah. Saturday Night Live knows her name. Bill Maher knows her name. Every political pundit and, in America knows her name. And that, and so is that tells by me, design. he can take him out in two seconds. 
Um, because that's by the, design you know, the, that she did. Yeah, yeah, and so um, that that just tells you. And, and you know, who's going to be a better representative for passing legislation for their district? And it's Andrew Clyde. Tim, good job for you. Um, it, it is Andrew Clyde. He had the, he had the machine right. gun on. But that tells you that's who's going to have the attention and the social it, power and it, politics, it, not the instrumental power. It, it don't always work out that way, David. Remember, uh, nobody had ever heard of Casey Cagle, and everybody knew who Ralph Reed was, considered him a hero. <laughs> and, he, and he couldn't beat Casey Cagle. Yeah, and and but the 2006 uh, electorate seems to be a little wiser um, than the 2016, 2020 yeah. uh, GOP electorate, yeah. I must say. Yeah. Um, well, now we're going to go up north a few states and head to Virginia and welcome back into the Kudzu Vine our old friend Lowell Feld. Welcome, Lowell. Hey, thanks. How's it going, David? Oh, going good. Um, glad to, to get off that last topic into hopefully some – some more hopeful uh, discussion in, of Virginia, and, and where uh-huh. I wanted to start off was um, you have a bunch of elections, and Tim and Kath are going to talk about some of those races, but you've got Ralph Northam uh, because of the design of Virginia's system where you have one four-year term and then your term limited. He's now – you know, he can't run for another office at the state mm-hmm. level. Um, we've seen other people like Mark Warner and Tim Kaine move on. Um, to, and I guess even before that, George Allen move on to the Senate, but now yeah. those first two gentlemen serve in the U.S. Senate, so that's not an option. Um, what does Ralph Northam's political future look like? Um, as far as I, everything I've heard, uh, he's just going to go back to Hampton Roads area probably or wherever he's going to settle down and – Probably not, you know, not run for anything, um, anything else. Yeah, you can, you can run again. I mean, once you're governor, one term, but you have to wait a term. Like you can't do it consecutively. So that's no. the deal. Um, like Terry McAuliffe, of course, which we'll probably get to, but he was governor, and then now he hasn't been governor for three years, and then he's running again for governor. So you can do that. Um, but there's yeah. no sign of Northam. I think, I think from what I've heard, he's He's, you know, he feels like he's done a lot, and um, you know, he still, still kind of plans to do a lot for the next, for the remaining year of his term, and then um, I think he'll be done. Yes, well, and and it's interesting because he did have that reclamation project after you know the controversy several years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, well, let me let me ask you one more question related to that before I get to another. Uh, that went down in that um, time, and that is that four-year rule. Um, have they thought about giving the governor two terms? Because I know when like, Bill Clinton first started serving in Arkansas, they had the same type of system, and now you can serve two consecutive terms in Arkansas. Yeah, I mean there's been definitely talk about it over the years, and uh, the thing is it would require a constitutional amendment. So you'd have to pass that in two consecutive legislatures with an intervening election, and then it goes to the voters for approval. You know, we just had a constitutional amendment passed in November uh, for redistricting, and it's it's a it's a convoluted, it's a long, you know, difficult process. It should be to get something in the constitution, in my opinion. But but anyway, so and I, but there's definitely opposition to it as well. I mean, um, so I don't know if it would pass two consecutive legislatures and then. The voters would have to be convinced as well that you know they want to give the governor two terms in a row. I mean, personally, I support it. I don't see any reason to have this. We're the only state in the country, as far as I'm aware, that that has a system like this where you can only run, you can only serve as governor one term at a time. You know, you can serve ten terms as governor. By the way, I mean, can, I mean, if you live to like a hundred or whatever, yeah, I guess you could serve a term as governor, not serve a term as governor. Serve a term, keep doing that over and over again. You know, for like decades. There's no yeah. limit on the number of terms. It's just it's consecutive, so it's kind of kind of crazy. But yeah, I don't see it happening necessarily. Um, I wish it did, but yeah, no, you know, another thing would be to move our elections to. Even years, and that's another thing that would require a constitutional amendment. Right now, we have that like this year is an odd year, 2021. We have our House of Delegates, our entire House of Delegates is up, and we have our governor election. Um, and that could be changed to an even number year. Yeah, but yeah. It never I think has if, been. I was a Virgi- 
If I was a Virginia voter, I'd want that. If I was a podcast guy from Georgia that needs topics, I'm happy we all have an odd year election. It gives me something to do and talk about having right. you on. Well, um, well, well right, as a blogger, as a blogger, I got to say, like having right now, Virginia, we have elections every single year, so there's always stuff to to blog about. You know, so yeah, and what you just said is absolutely correct. Like, <laughs> if we if we were just went to an even year cycle, I guess the odd years would be kind of boring. Yeah, but they're not boring now. They're definitely not boring now. I mean, like <laughs> governor's election this year and the entire House of Delegates—that's a lot. Yeah, the so, political yeah. consultant employment plan. Well, at the time that <laughs> exactly. controversy went down with uh, Ralph Northam, uh, there was another controversy of a totally different nature with your lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax. Now, mm-hmm. he has um, uh, still going to run for governor, and I know you're going to talk about other candidates later, but that controversy never seemed to go away, and I did notice on his campaign website he features his family very prominently, and given the nature of that controversy, um, I think that's important that uh, there would be a reason he would do that. Um, how is he being perceived in the you know years following um, his controversial allegations coming out? I mean, you know, he I don't I, I just don't see any way to get past that, unfortunately, for him, because um, these are, you know, how, how credible you think they are. I personally think they're credible accusations. And a lot of people do think they're credible by two two women, two African-American women made these accusations. And um, there's no way to disprove it. Like there's no way to definitively prove or disprove it at this point. This this stuff happened a long time ago. One of the incidents was at the con- Democratic convention when John Kerry was nominated, you know, um, in Boston, 2004. So you know the um, this is a long time ago. There's not like any physical evidence. There are no witnesses probably around. I mean, maybe maybe for the incident at Duke, there might, but I don't think anyone actually witnessed it. So I mean, there's no way to clear. He can't clear his name really definitively. Like he can't ever get to the point where it's like, okay, you're cleared, you're done with this, and so it's just hanging out there. It's just sort of hanging out there. And I think, you know, like he raised the fundraising numbers just came in on January fifteenth, and uh, he raised almost no money. And for a lieutenant governor, like you know, when Tim Kaine was running for governor, very different. But when he was lieutenant governor. And he ran for governor in 2005, which is when I got involved with, with Virginia politics. And, um, you know, he raised tons of money. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, McAuliffe raised millions of dollars. Jennifer Carroll Foy, another candidate, raised a couple million dollars. Justin raised like, I forget, it was like $20,000, minimal. So people are not giving him money. And, I mean, I think that somewhat tells you what people's attitudes are. Because, I mean, normally – he was considered to be kind of a rising star before all that, and uh, clearly he's not now. <laughs> you know, um, at least based on the fundraising and based on you know, there's really not really too much polling at this point. But the, um, let alone you know, accurate polling, I think at this point. But uh, McAuliffe's got the highest name ID, seems to be probably leading. And but yeah, Justin doesn't seem to be. Um, I don't. I don't know. It's going to be. It's going to be very hard for him. I, I, again, I don't see how he gets past that. Now, I mean, talking about Ralph Northam and his and his blackface scandal, he did get past it. His approval ratings among Democrats now are very good. Overall, approval ratings pretty good. Uh, he's, you know, seen as an asset. I mean, he's gotten a lot done as governor, too. I mean, of course, Democrats took back the legislature in 2019, and he was able to pass. In the 2020 session, they passed hundreds of bills, you know, progressive legislation, environmental legislation, clean energy legislation. I mean, it's really become – Northam's going to probably go down in history, like – and I, don't, I can't believe I'm saying this, like two couple of years after the blackface scandal, but as one of the most consequential governors in Virginia history. I mean, probably maybe the most in some ways. I mean, the times he lived – he governed through as well, we had the COVID pandemic. <laughs> we had an attempted coup where Virginia's National Guard actually came to the rescue. I mean, like, think about all the stuff that's happened the last few years. It's crazy. Um, plus, you know, again, taking back the legislature, we got Medicaid expansion in Virginia. We passed bills on 
just about every topic you can think of from LGBT equality to women's right to choose. We ratified the ERA. You know, we um, passed a massive clean energy bill that makes it so that Virginia finally has a mandatory clean, uh, renewable portfolio standard and a lot of other things. It's just like on and on and on. I mean, the Virginia Values Act, which is, you know, LGBT equality. I mean, it's voting rights, massive, massive criminal justice reform, uh, policing reform. I mean, just it's incredible. So, like, who would have predicted that in the depths of the blackface scandal when Northam – everyone had called on Northam to resign, and he didn't resign – and now, who would have predicted then, like, we'd be at this point now? It's amazing. Yes. Well, I, I'm I did gonna, not um, predict it. Yeah, definitely so. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Catherine. I'll pass it to Tim, and there might be some questions at the end again for me. Catherine? Hey, Lowell. It's so nice to hear your voice again and talk with you. Yeah, you too. We, I, lo- I love having you on. It's always a joy. Um, oh, thank you. I was... I was um, interested to hear. Uh, I'm I'm just a little curious since you're so close to DC. How all this, um, the you know insurrection and all that stuff, how, what the impact was on the people in Virginia? Did you feel threatened or did you like what? Yeah. What was the feeling, the mood in Virginia while all that was going on? Yeah, it was tense. It was very tense. And, you know, um, I live in Arlington, which is just across the river. Yeah. We were under curfew here in Arlington that night. Uh, I mean, it was announced suddenly. It was like, okay, at I think it was at like 6 o'clock, uh, we're going under curfew for like the next 12 hours or whatever. And uh, that was crazy. <laughs> curfew? Like, because of potential violence. Um, you know, Virginia's National Guard was sent in to basically part of the the only one of the only forces along with I guess Maryland's National Guard and the DC police or whatever but since the I guess the military was you know I don't know what they were doing the Pentagon but they seemed to be not helping so so anyway yeah it was it was pretty scary um it was uh very tense and very strange surreal and you know a lot of the people here work downtown I mean and they know people who work on the hill my wife's boss, you know, worked on the Hill for years. A lot of people around here do, or they know people who work on the Hill. And it's just crazy. Like, that actually happened? <laughs> right. I know. That's how I feel about it. Right. But it's you feel, really I mean, you know, everyone feels probably anywhere you live in the country, you see this, and it's like, holy crap, it's shocking. But, yeah, when you're actually right there, it's really you know, like, I mean, if you were in Nashville when that explosion happened, you know, I mean, I was horrified seeing it from here. But if you live there, it's more shocking. You know? But so, yeah, it was it was very disturbing. Um, you know, and these people uh, were coming in for, in the couple of days before that. It was The tension was building for days. It wasn't just like that moment. It was and they were staying in hotels in this area and in D.C. and Arlington and whatever, Northern Virginia. So, they, you know, yeah, it's kind of disturbing, I would say, is how yeah, I would put I, it. Yeah, I, I figured it, mu- it must be intense because, I, I mean, I know when I when I come to D- when I've come to D.C., I often stay in Arlington because it's so close. Right. So, uh, you know, I was actually anyway. – um, Ralph Northam, uh, Governor Northam had his – he was having a, a COVID-19 uh, press briefing, and I'm watching this, and it, you know, uh, started at two o'clock, and I'm watching it, and then at like two, whatever it was, like two fifteen or so, two twenty, some friend of mine was like, "Oh my God, you see what's happening at the Capitol?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm live blogging this. I'm watching this press conference, whatever. What's going on?" I mean, oh my God, there's like some crazy stuff going on. You should check it out. And so basically, I pretty much gave up on that press conference and just turned all my attention to the what was going on in D.C. And then apparently Northam, after I turned that off, uh, Governor Northam was also pulled aside and was like, uh, sir, we need to send National Guard, like, to, you know. So, I mean, it, yeah, the whole thing was just surreal. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, that, that, that was the – I mean, I think people were very um, freaked out around here. 
Now, I wanted to go back to something that David was talking to you about. You were saying how um, how successful or how uh, how much impact uh, the governor has had um, during yeah. his term, and and I just wonder what do you, what do you think the um, reason for that is? is? Did he just after the whole blackface thing happened? Did you think he just said, okay, I've got all this work to do. I'm just gonna put my head down and do it and mm-hmm. try to get past this? Or did he have enough support from his, uh, you know, from the legislature and from his cabinet that he could just really accomplish those things? Or, you know, what do you think the, because, I mean, it sounds like it was quite, it's been quite uh, successful and maybe we could all learn from that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, he um he definitely put his head down. He committed. He he had many, many meetings including with a you know, the NAACP, the Black Legislative Black Caucus and I mean, I sure he took a lot of incoming or whatever you want to call it, but but he didn't he didn't get defensive apparently. He listened. He was very willing to change and to and to do, you know, to to focus his governorship on Equity on racial justice, on social justice, whatever, and so, and he, he, what they weren't just words. He actually uh, dedicated himself to that. The other thing is that, um, and I give him a lot of credit for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm someone who, in the primary, I supported Tom Periello actually over Ralph Northam. I wasn't a huge Ralph Northam fan, but I gotta say, I'm, I give him a lot of credit, a lot of credit. And the other thing is, you know, the anti-Trump backlash. Uh, we gained 15 seats in the House of Delegates in 2017, in November 2017, and then we gained another when, when we took back the House of Delegates and the State Senate in November 2019. So he had a legislature then that was Democratic controlled that he could work with, a much more progressive Democratic legislature too, because a lot of the new people who came in in that anti-Trump backlash were very progressive, very diverse, you know. Um, just uh, you know, a lot of young people, women, African Americans, but transgender, Danica Rome, uh, transgender person. You know, so basically, um, he had the uh, will to do it, and he had the ability. I mean, he you know he'd been in the state senate, he'd been lieutenant governor, very experienced guy. You know, and then of course being a doctor, um, and and governor when a pandemic hits. I mean, he had the medical background, so in terms of dealing with this as well, so that was fortuitous. Um, so it's like a bunch of things coming together, really. I think, um, but yeah, I mean, the, taking back the legislature was huge, and then him actually committing to, you know, working in these areas and trying to make Virginia more equitable. And I mean, he he definitely recognized that, you know, racial injustice. What is is a really big problem, and that had to be dealt with. So, you know, and then I think with uh, George Floyd was another catalyst, not just George Floyd, but that in particular, um, towards a push for more criminal justice reform and policing reform. And he was very much for that. I mean, he didn't. He didn't. Well, I, 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 yeah. It, it sounds like that. Uh, you know, sometimes the. Uh, um, uh, something like a like that blackface thing will just sort of prompt someone to really recognize that, you know, things have to change. So maybe that was uh, a fortuitous thing. Like I mean I wasn't Yeah, not, I know not what saying, you're saying it was a good thing, but, right. but maybe that, you know, really did sort of push him to uh, you know, have those conversations with those organizations and really face those challenges. So good for him. Right. Well, yeah, I'm also, I mean, you know, that, that oh. blackface, not to diminish it, but it happened many, many years when he was a young man yeah. in med school. Uh, in the years between then and when he became governor, I don't know of any. I don't think anyone ever pointed to any incidents of blackface or racism of any kind with Ralph Northam. I mean, I don't think anyone even hinted or intimated at the slightest bit of that. Um, so I I think that was sort of like a one-off, I think, you know, when he was young. So right, that was part it, of it, but too. It did, but it did bring it all up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it it, it was a, um, a trigger or something, you might call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it definitely was, I'm going to pass so, it to yeah. Tim. Thanks so much. It's great to hear from you. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Hey, good evening again, Lowell. Thank you for being on with us tonight. Sure thing. Um, now, among the many train wrecks that our departed president uh, left, <laughs> one was the census. And that's obviously mm. going to affect you guys directly this year. Looks like there's going to be a delay, which mm-hmm. will mean that Democrats will not get to redraw the district lines probably in time for this year's election. My guess is Democrats are not happy about that, and Republicans are gleeful. Would I be right about that? Mm, Well, not exactly, because uh, we passed, as I mentioned earlier, we passed a redistricting amendment, so Democrats can't redraw the lines anyway. So it's, it's now a bipartisan commission. Uh, that is in charge of Virginia's redistricting. So Democrats had, they could have, they they could have opposed that amendment. They could have killed it, and they could have just gerrymandered and drawn the lines themselves uh, to their heart's content. But they didn't do that. So um, so anyway, uh, right. So right now, yeah, we're waiting for the census numbers. Um, I think the census. What they try to do for New Jersey and Virginia, because we're the two states in 2021 or 2011 or whatever year, the year after you know the census, that um, have gubernatorial elections. They're trying to prioritize getting the numbers to those states, but it's looking bad right now. I mean, I I can just imagine, like you said, I mean, the mess that Trump, that the previous president left in every area. But in the census, um, yeah, I mean, it, we may not get numbers until the summer, you know. Um, and which, at that point, it means you, you'll it be means using that, the 2010 maps, then, right? Well, it's quite possible what we're going to end up having to do. I'd say it's getting into likely territory, but it's not 100% yet. But, but anyway, that we have to run this year under the existing maps, which were drawn in 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they'll have to probably what will happen is the courts will probably order that next year when we don't normally have elections, it's an even year next year, but they'll probably order that we have to run again, the House of all the House of Delegate seats again, except this time under new maps, on new lines. And then 2023, we'll go back to the regular schedule again. So basically, these people will have to run three years in a row. <laughs> once oh, under <laughs> current maps, once under the existing maps, yeah, and then Next and then twice under well next year under the new maps and then forever more under the new maps. Okay, so. I changed my mind. You changed my mind. Nobody's happy with this. They couldn't be not to run three times in a row. Um, yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't think that. Well, I mean, a lot of the although a lot of the incumbents are in safe either red or blue districts, so. Maybe uh-huh. they don't care as much, but still, you know, I mean, running three years in a row <laughs> yeah. doesn't sound like fun now, to me. I don't know. Now, now we all know what happened at Charlottesville, and the focal point being the removal of the statue of Robert E. Lee. And your state house passed a bill to remove a statue of Harry Byrd. Mm-hmm. State capital grounds. Now, has there been any type of outcry about that? Yeah, I mean it's controversial. I mean, Harry Bird, you know, yeah, he's a complicated figure in Virginia history. He's, yeah. The Bird Machine is, a, uh, you know, had a huge impact on Virginia. It, it's certainly historically significant. Now, you could argue that that it's all bad. Or only partly bad, or whatever. But they, uh, the, but yeah, Harry Bird was a major figure. So I mean, there's, there's some people argue you should leave the statue, but contextualize it, you know. And uh, other people say just take it down because he was a segregationist. Um, you know, it gets into this. I mean, this whole this whole issue is fraught because you're talking about people historically, so it's very different times. Mm-hmm. You know, so what Mm -hmm. do you do? Like Thomas Jefferson's a classic one. I mean, that's University of Virginia. I mean, Thomas Jefferson is like obviously iconic in American history and Virginia history, but he was a very flawed. By today's standards, I mean, it's 
beyond flawed. I mean, <laughs> you know, he had a slave, Sally Hemings, that we would consider it rape today, I guess, right? I think. Mm-hmm. By a... So anyway, I mean, how do you judge people from a couple hundred years ago? So anyway, but yeah, the Harry Bird is um, – <laughs> It's, he, he's, he's a complicated figure, but yeah, he was a figure of his times, but it, not in a good way in that in the in the, in the massive resistance and to segregate, desegregation. I mean, so yeah, you know, it's controversial. It definitely is, and it's difficult to know what to do. I mean, but anyway, there's definitely some people think just get rid of it. Some people think contextualize it, leave it there, so people know who this person was, what he did, why it was wrong. You know, and make it a learning experience. I, I could see, I could see the argument for either one of those. I mean, if you contextualize it well, and it's not in your face, that's the thing. Some of these monuments are like they were put up clearly to intimidate black people. That's what they were put up for, mm-hmm. and to show white people are, you know, we're going to maintain our supremacy. And in the middle of like the uh, middle of Richmond, like you have to walk by it or drive by it every day. Like that's ridiculous. Those those need to go, uh-huh. you know. But if it's off to the side somewhere and it's not obtrusive and you can contextualize, I mean, maybe, you know. I mean, so that's yeah. what the debate I think is. Um, but there, there there are monuments and plaques and statues and whatever all over the yeah. place in the yeah. in the South. Well, well, unlike many states and especially like no southern states that I know of, Virginia is actually passing some gun control measures in the legislature. Mm -hmm. Are these measures supported by and large by the public? I mean, the polling, if you just look at the polling, uh, it's been consistent, and it's really across the country, and it's in urban and rural areas, if you look at the polling, that people support – um, background checks. They support, you know, some of the some of the major like like red flag laws and other things. I mean, there's there are some of gun control measures that people strongly support. Others, you know, not as much. Um, maybe assault weapons. I don't know, quote unquote, assault weapons bans um, are have somewhat less support. But you know, but um, and waiting periods and and other things. But uh, so. You know, but the, but there's a it's definitely a minority, I would say, but it's a very vocal minority of of people who really, 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 you know, are supportive of guns, who are uh, mm-hmm. very angry about that. And um, in Virginia here, they started this sanctuary county movement to make uh, a gun basically a Second Amendment sanctuary uh, county where. Yeah. These laws would not be enforced or whatever, you know, and that swept across Virginia last year. And, uh, I mean, uh, most of the counties in Virginia uh, passed some sort of uh, ordinance or, you know, uh, some sort of resolution or whatever expressing their support for this. So, um, so it's, um, you know, the thing is, like... It's not just the majority of the population what they think. It's if you have an intense, passionate group of people on whatever issue, by the way. I mean, like they they and and most people don't really care that much. They say like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm for this or I'm against this or whatever, but it's not a top priority for me, and I'm not gonna go out and march or go. I mean, these gun supporters went to. And I'll give them credit for this. I mean, they, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. I mean, in a way. I mean, they they showed up. They showed up in uh-huh. hundreds, like on a couple of days' notice or whatever. They they showed up at county board meetings and city council meetings, and they spoke, and they spoke up. I mean, that's oh, right. okay. You know. <laughs> so, so one final question. Um, you're a blogger, of course. And we're in an election year, and we go into this election year knowing at least the National Republican Party is still pretty much dominated and controlled by Donald Trump. So do you expect to be blogging that Republicans running for 2021 offices are dominated by Trump supporters this year? Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, the Republican Party does seem to be the Trumpist party, a Trumpist party now. Uh, it's very hard. Look at what's happening with um, Liz Cheney. 
Um, yeah. It's amazing, really. It's like she's um, she was one of the few who kind of like really spoke out against the insurrection, and she's getting lambasted. Yeah, so I, I you know, the, like the candidates running for uh, statewide office here on the Republican side right now, I don't really see any of them breaking from Trump. I don't see any of them running as like a moderate Republican or an old school like country club Republican or. But even pre-Trump Republican, they're all like they support Trump. I mean, I'll be really interested yeah. to see if any of them break and say, "No, I am, I am not a Trump Republican." I mean, have you heard all that right. from any Republican anywhere, really? Like, I actually no, come right I, out and say I, that. I, yeah. Those those that would break away from him uh, are afraid to say so for electoral right. and safety reasons. And with that, Lowell, I'm going to send it back to David. David? All right, cool. Yes, well, Lowell, I have have heard many Republicans say that they're breaking with Trump, and that either comes right before or right after they announce they're retiring. Um, So those two kind of go hand in hand. Well, let's talk about this governor's race, and I don't know how deep we can get into it with the time, but I want to talk about the Republican side. Um, It looks like... um, Kirk Cox is a little bit more of an establishment figure. Amanda Chase, a state senator, has gotten a lot of headlines for being that more reactionary, uh, new-style Trump Republican. Is that the two people that it's going to come down to, or is there another person that could factor in? Uh, So it's hard to predict because uh, the Republican nominating um, process is very confused. We still don't 100% even know whether they're going to have a convention, uh, and apparently it can't be an assembled convention because of COVID, so you can't have a bunch of people in a convention center. So it probably have to be some sort of unassembled convention, but, but then in order to do that, you have to change the party plan, and that requires 75% of the, peop- of the uh, state central committee to approve that, and they don't have that either. So they may end up having – this is absolutely crazy, but they may end up having the state central committee, like 72 members I think it is, choose their statewide nominees. If that's the case, I have no idea who those people are going to choose. I mean um, – but anyway, there are there – are, um, no, there are several other candidates. I mean Amanda Chase and Kirk Cox are probably the two frontrunners. At this point, there's also a businessman named Pete Snyder. There's another guy named Glenn Youngkin who's apparently worth like $100 million or something like that. He worked for the Carlisle Group for years uh, and um, made a fortune. Uh, now, how do you spend you know, millions of dollars on an unassembled convention or if the state sent party chooses the nominees? I don't know what you spend the money on. It's not a primary. It's not like a statewide primary oh. where you can run – TV advertising and all that, but so, um, but yeah, I say right now it's uh, probably starting off. I would say Amanda Chase and Kirk Cox are the Kirk Cox was the speaker of the House um, here in Virginia for only two years, though he uh, managed to lose that in the um, uh, well, 2017. They we picked up 15 seats, Democrats. We almost took it back then, and then 2019 took it back. So, um, so anyway, but yeah, probably those two. Well, tell me the timeline on when the convention has to be held by, by, because two things are going to happen. One, it's going to get warmer, and outdoor assemblage might be more possible. And two, we obviously, I think, all hope we get more vaccine out there, and it becomes safe to reassemble at some point when we hit a certain percentage of the people vaccinated. So what's the timeline in which they have to have a convention and a nominee by? Well, I mean, you can sort of work backwards. I mean, the state-run primaries are uh, second, I believe, the second week of June, unless they're postponed for some reason again. But I, that's when okay. it's supposed to be. So probably June 13th, 14th, around there. Um, so, but you have to let the um, you have to let the state board of elections know the the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. I think it's in. I could be wrong on this. I think it's in March. At some point, late March, okay. they have to let them know. Like, give they have to send to the state board of elections our intent. We are planning. We want to go with a primary or or whatever they're whatever method of nomination they've chosen. So there's not that much time. I mean, really. And meanwhile, the candidates really need to know. Like, should they be running a campaign based on that there's going to be a primary or a convention or a what? 
<laughs> like, I mean, we're already okay. into almost into February now, and it's yeah. like, it, you know, you, yeah. So there's not really that much time, but the the state central committee on the Republican side is has been completely unable, really, to reach consensus on this. They're badly divided. Some of it's Amanda um, Chase forces versus like anti Amanda Chase forces, and I, I'm not exactly sure why they think Amanda Chase would have a better chance in like one method of nomination or the other. I would I would have thought she'd have a better chance in a convention actually, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe she would in a primary. It's just hard to know. Um, so so anyway, it's. Uh, it's it's all fuzzy right now on their side. Democrats, meanwhile, we just chose a primary. Took five yeah. ten minutes. Chose a primary, no problem. And there's going to be a primary. Now, by the way, these primaries in Virginia, there's no like you have a runoff in Georgia. We you could have instant runoff. You could have ranked choice voting. We don't have that. So it's just whoever gets the it's first past the post, quote unquote. So it's whoever gets a plurality. Um, so you know, like with the, so with, when you have like five or six candidates. You could have the winner of the nomination with 25%. I mean, do the math, like 20, 25, 30%. And that could happen too. And so someone like Amanda Chase maybe who has a passionate core, maybe it's only 30% or whatever, she could win. You know, if they really are passionate and she has a huge Facebook following, of course, by the way, she's suspended from Facebook for <laughs> for 60 days. Um, so she has like 150,000 followers on there, but she's suspended. <laughs> so that's kind of amusing. Yeah, the inopportune time. She said, kind of sounds like Kelly Ward in Arizona, which yeah. um, Kelly Ward has, has led that party. Um, I mean, it probably had other reasons for its demise, but Kelly Ward has not helped. In Arizona. Well, let's get over to the Democratic side in our remaining four minutes. Um, how are things looking on the Democratic side for governor? Uh, for governor, I'd say, well, McAuliffe raised more money than God, which is what he does. Um, so he's way ahead on the money front. Um, he's got the most name ID. He was governor for four years, et cetera. So he's generally considered the front runner. Um, there are, you know, several other candidates running. You've got uh, two African-American women uh, running. One is a state senator. One was a delegate. She's now resigned to, I guess, devote herself full time to the gubernatorial race. Jennifer McClellan is the state senator. Jennifer Carroll Foy is the delegate. Um, so, you know, and then you've got uh, Lee Carter, who's a self-proclaimed socialist, who's, you know, very to the left. Um, and so he's running. And then Justin Fairfax. So, um, but the thing is, if you if you think of it as like Terry McAuliffe as the de facto kind of incumbent in the race, then everyone else kind of to me splits the not Terry. Like if you don't, if you want Terry, you want Terry. But if you don't, then which one of the other ones do you pick? And I could see that splitting, splitting, splitting in a bunch of different ways. Like if you want a woman, um, there are two women. You know, and they're both named Jennifer, actually, and they're both African American women, Jennifer Carol Foy and Jennifer McClellan. Now they're different in other ways, very different um, experience-wise in terms of their, uh, you could argue their ideological slant or whatever. But the, um, but anyway, and then you know you've got uh, you've got an actual self-proclaimed socialist. So if you're more to the left, you might maybe go for Lee Carter um, instead of let's say Jennifer Carol Foy. So I could see those. All the other people not named Terry McAuliffe, like splitting up the people who don't want McAuliffe. I think McAuliffe's pretty happy right now. I'd, I, my guess is if I were him, I'd be not not 100% confident, but I'd be feeling pretty good right now. I mean, um, about getting the nomination. He's got the money, and then there's no. I don't think. He's gonna. If that money's gonna dry up for him, I mean, he he's got a big Rolodex, um, you know, and uh, and and he sees his opponents as, you know, divided, and that's kind of what you want, I think, if you're Terry McAuliffe right now. Yes, well, um, Lowell, it feels like there's going to be so much more to talk about. The, the race is going to have complexities. The Republican side is going to have some things happen. You'll finally have nominees. Um, yeah. We'll we'll you know, need to have you on at least one more time before this um you know, election happens in November because there's so much there and we didn't even get to down ballot tonight, uh, because Virginia no. had, you know, top of the ticket stuff going on. 
But um, we'll thank you again for coming on. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. And uh hope you guys are doing well in, in yes. blue Georgia. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks That's again. Thank you, sir. Yes, from Blue Thanks, Virginia. Uh, the blog, not just the actual designation of the state, Lowell failed. Um, I guess Lowell was, um, uh, you know, alluding to that Saturday Night Live skit last night, which was very strange. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that place is in Georgia, and I've been all over the state. Um, <laughs> it, it was odd. But um, been a good show. Uh, tomorrow, Next week is going to be the Super Bowl, and we for years now have not gone live during the Super Bowl, and we will continue that tradition. Um, we're not sure when we'll throw a show in, um, you know, over that time, because the next week is Valentine's Day. So we'll put something together. Uh, it'll be on our page. We'll put it on Twitter. We'll also, um, you know, put it on Georgia uh, poll, which, uh, you know, Lawton Sack, want to thank him again for letting us post there. Um, but until next week, it's been the Cozy Vine. Good night, Good night y'all. guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest.